Housemark has announced that it won't be working on a sequel to Returnal, and it's a sure sign that a new generation of consoles won't change player habits. Good morning, good Thursday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for March 3rd, 2022. The show is in our patrons feeds bright and early every weekday morning and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So Housemark, the creators of Returnal, was interviewed at the annual DICE conference last week in Las Vegas, and it shared that it's working on a new IP instead of creating a sequel to PS5 exclusive Returnal. Now remember, Housemark was recently purchased by PlayStation to become a first-party studio. At last count, Returnal had sold just 560,000 copies. The truth is, we probably will never get a sequel to the studio's roguelite sci-fi shooter. You may say that Returnal is a PS5 exclusive, which makes it difficult to sell a lot of units because of a lack of installed base. As of February 2nd, 2022, Sony claims it sold 17.3 million PlayStation 5 consoles, which means Returnal sold to just 3.3% of PS5 users. That's not good, particularly when there aren't a lot of PlayStation 5 exclusives for owners to choose from. And sure, it's a challenging roguelite game. It kicked my ass. But I've not been a fan of that subgenre in the past, and I really enjoyed Returnal. In fact, the overwhelming opinion is that Returnal is the roguelite for people who typically don't like them. And its Metacritic average of 86 is a testament to this belief among critics. But that messaging appears to have fallen flat. So while some of you may be excited to hear that the studio is now working on something new, it's hard to imagine that its next project will push the boundaries as much as Returnal did. Housemark and PlayStation took a gamble, there's no denying it. And it didn't pay off. Chances are, the next project will be much more risk-averse. My father used to say that you get what you allow. So if you're looking around and wondering, where are all the new and exciting ideas? If you don't support games like Returnal, you only have yourself to blame. As another old saying goes, you vote with your wallets. In capitalism, it's the most power that you have. So while you may have passed on Returnal or other innovative games in the past, you might want to reconsider the next time one comes along. But here's the problem. There may not be more games that come along that really push the envelope. And if they are, they're likely going to be low-budget indie games that usually come with their fair share of caveats. I know everyone is different, and I know everyone's been playing games for different amounts of time. And it's easy sometimes for me to forget that everyone isn't like me. They haven't been playing video games since the late 70s like I have. They haven't played dozens and dozens of examples of each genre. So I am a bit of a special case. There aren't that many people my age who love gaming as much as I do. It's just the truth. So while I've played literally thousands of side-scrolling platformers and hundreds of first-person shooters and hundreds of open-world action RPGs and 
hundreds of fighting games, and on and on and on, younger players aren't quite that experienced. So, they aren't burnt out on stuff like I am. So I will admit that I am kind of an outlier in my thirst for innovative ideas in games. Indeed, my partner on Game Face, Matt Kyle, one thing that he likes to say all the time is, I'll take a really polished game over a less polished, innovative game. And I can agree with that on some levels. Polish is really important, not dealing with bugs and other issues. But I'm always thirsting for that new thing. What's next? What is the game that's going to be a paradigm shift that's going to change how games are developed in the future? And if we're not supporting the games that try to become that, then we're going to get less and less games that have a chance to do that. So I'm not sitting here telling you every game you buy should be some brand new idea or some whacked out concept that no one's heard of before. I totally get the idea of gaming comfort food. I like it too. There are certain genres that I'm perfectly happy with, and I don't necessarily need to see a lot of innovation before I get interested in them. But for the health of the industry and for the sake of pushing video games forward, there needs to be a healthier balance. And all I'm seeing of late are interesting ideas, new subgenres being rejected. So the next time you go to buy part five of your favorite franchise or this brand new game that kind of looks like some other game, maybe think to yourself that buying those games could be feeding into the downturn of the industry. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sifts. According to reliable leaker ACCNGT, new Infamous and Sly Cooper games are in development. This is the same Twitter account that revealed Star Wars Eclipse before its official announcement. Infamous Second Son reportedly sold 6 million copies, while Infamous 2 sold just 2.2 million. Meanwhile, Sly 2 Band of Thieves sold just 1.8 million, and the first game sold just 1.2 million. Now keep in mind, the platforms that these games released for had huge installed bases. Those sales are not good, is what I'm getting at. And they're definitely not sales that Sony is used to from its first party output in 2022. You look at games like Marvel's Spider-Man, 20 million copies, God of War from 2018, 20 million copies. If you're not selling over 10 million, you're a disappointment in Sony's first-party stable of studios. It's just the facts. It's especially interesting that these games are getting new sequels because Days Gone sold 8 million units, and Sony, very publicly, put its sequel on ice. So I don't know if this is Sony lowering its expectations for first-party games, or if it's just looking at these games as release calendar hole fillers. But I'm excited for both of these, I'm a fan of both franchises, particularly Sly. It's really sad to see how little the Sly games sold in the past, but it's exciting the PlayStation, despite that, has decided to revive it. Infamous is one of those games that can be polarizing. It's an open-world action-adventure. I'm guessing the new one will probably be an open-world action RPG. But people seem to either love it or hate it. I'm one of the rare people who kind of falls in the middle. I really liked Infamous Second Son, and Infamous 2, eh, it was okay. And I think the sales reflect both of those opinions. At least Infamous sales have gone up drastically with each release, 
Sly Cooper, not so much, but I do like to see this new Sony, where it doesn't feel like every project it gives a green light to has to be a blockbuster. It was announced today that EA will remove Russia from FIFA 22. The top international soccer bodies have banned Russian teams until further notice, and EA is just following suit. Meanwhile, Ukraine has asked video game companies to pull out of Russia altogether. Its deputy prime minister has asked gaming companies like PlayStation and Xbox, plus esports organizations, to pull their products and services to put pressure on Russia. He stated, In 2022, modern technology is perhaps the best answer to the tanks, multiple rocket launchers, and missiles. I appeal to temporarily block all Russian and Belarusian accounts, temporarily stop the participation of Russian and Belarusian teams and gamers in all international esports events, and cancel all international events holding in the territory of Russia and Belarus. It may seem strange for a government official to reach out for help from the gaming industry in the middle of a horrible war, but as an international community, we're all put in this awkward situation of trying to avoid World War III. And so if it takes every little bit, every drop of the bucket to make the difference and end the war, we've all got to do whatever we can. Epic has purchased music service Bandcamp as part of its Creator Marketplace initiative. Bandcamp was founded in 2008 and allows indie musicians to promote and sell their work. Artists receive 82% of the revenue, which is pretty good, from every sale, and Bandcamp has paid out almost $1 billion to artists and labels to date. This acquisition is in line with Epic's other recent purchase of rock band creators Harmonix, which shows that the Fortnite creator has some sort of master plan for music in its upcoming stab at the metaverse. Epic stated, Bandcamp will play an important role in Epic's vision to build out a creator marketplace ecosystem for content, technology, games, art, music, and more. How Harmonix and Bandcamp are ultimately baked into the metaverse is hard to see right now, but if it's going to be filled with merchants of all types, then music would certainly be one of its key tentpoles. Enhanced versions of Resident Evil 2, 3, and 7 will be coming to PlayStation 5, Xbox Series consoles, and PC sometime in 2022. The updates will include ray tracing, high frame rate modes, 3D audio, haptic feedback, and adaptive triggers. If you already own the games, the upgrade will be completely free, but there's no word yet if Resident Evil 7 will get improved VR play for PlayStation VR 2. All three of these games have sold very, very well, so I'm not sure that there's a big market for people who are looking to buy these games new. However, it's nice to get the free upgrade if you've bought them in the past. The Cuphead show on Netflix is already getting a second season before it could even become apparent whether the first season was a hit or not. More likely, Netflix ordered a specific number of episodes and has just decided to split them up into two seasons. As we've stated previously on Good Morning Gaming, Reviews for season one have been mixed, with some saying it tries too hard to be funny and fails, while others say that it's watchable for both kids and adults due to innuendo. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight.
Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may, or may not be, related to video games. Reviews for Gran Turismo 7 are in, and it's one of the highest rated releases in franchise history. I didn't see that one coming. Does this mean that racing games are back in vogue? No, not really. Its Metacritic average is sitting at an 88 right now. And if you kind of look around, it's hard to find a lot of competitors for Gran Turismo at this point. It really feels like the bottom has kind of fallen out in the racing sim genre. Obviously, its biggest head-to-head competitor is the Forza Motorsport franchise. But Forza Motorsport, beginning with Forza Motorsport 5, has seen sales steadily decline ever since that peak. Forza Motorsport 8 was shown at the debut of Xbox Series X, and we're still waiting on that game to get a release date, let alone be released. The last Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo Sport, which admittedly was kind of a spin-off. It wasn't a true entry in the Gran Turismo franchise. Last I heard, it sold around 6 million copies. That's a far cry from the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 1 days, where Gran Turismo was selling 20 million, sometimes more, per entry. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know how Gran Turismo 7 is going to sell. I am admittedly surprised that the reviews are so high because if you read the reviews, most of them just say it's the same thing, but more polished. And if you think, okay, well, driving sims aren't doing that well recently, and maybe arcade racers are, and then immediately what comes to mind is Forza Horizon 5, which is a great game. It's sitting at a 92 Metacritic average, But that game has essentially been given away for free on Game Pass, so it's hard to tell just how many people would be willing to pay full price for it. At the same time, there have been, I don't know, probably half a dozen arcade-style racing games released in the last year, year and a half or so, and none of them have done well. So it's not just driving sims that have seen a drastic dip in interest and ultimately at the cash register. One thing that kind of stands out to me, though, is that innovation doesn't really seem like something people want in their driving games. Evolution Studios created the exciting, I think it was exciting, MotorStorm franchise before sales slowly petered out. Sony put the studio on the disappointing drive club, and then when that failed, it closed it altogether. But Codemasters came to the rescue and started a new sub-label called Codemasters Evo. Basically the same team under a slightly different name. Then it went all in with an over-the-top arcade racer called Onrush that incorporated ideas from both Burnout and SSX. I thought the game was great. If you go back and look at the episode of Game Face where we covered that game, I told you to buy it. I think I even said in that episode, if you want innovation in your driving games going forward, you need to support this game. Despite overwhelmingly positive reviews, including mine, It failed miserably at retail. I saw one report where it sold 1,500 copies in its first week in the UK. Evolution hasn't made a game since. Most believe that it's just been absorbed into Codemasters and is now just essentially a support staff that gets pulled onto projects as they're being wrapped up. So it's kind of become the cleanup batter at Codemasters, which is now owned by Electronic Arts. So what does this tell us? It appears that players have become more selective with their driving game purchases. They're also not buying as many as they used to back in the early aughts. Back then, 
you could have five or six different driving games per year all do exceptionally well. Now, exceptionally well is relative back then because development costs were so much lower. Expectations were so much lower as well. New ideas weren't hard to come by because they hadn't already been done. So it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison, to be honest. So that made it easier to buy multiple racing games each year because you could find several that played, looked, or felt different. Remember Need for Speed Underground? Probably EA's best-selling driving game ever. People still are asking either for a remaster of that game or a sequel. But that's all changed in 2022. Most driving games that even try something new end up becoming free-to-play games. Destruction All-Stars for PlayStation 5 comes to mind. It was originally debuted as a game that you paid for, and then there was a beta, and people didn't like it, and it was kind of busted, and now it's just a footnote in video game history. And I'm not trying to say that game was great, and it deserved to do better than it did. It was not a good game. So while people aren't buying driving games like they used to back in the day, when they do buy, they're purchasing reliable brands that they remember from their past instead of trying out new ideas. So think Forza, think Gran Turismo, think Mario Kart. That's pretty much it. Those are really the only driving games that still do really, really well. Now, the F1 games do okay in Europe, but they're not very popular here in the United States. And this is why we haven't really seen any innovation in the space since Onrush. Publishers have become weary of taking risks in the genre. The reviews of Gran Turismo 7 aren't really gushing. They say that it's a solid Gran Turismo with few new bells and whistles. Apparently that's what you want. So that's what you get. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're at it, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today, because there will never be another. <laughs>